Amen. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel and chapter 7 in the Word of God together this morning. It's been a blessing to be here with you today already. It's been an encouraging morning to fellowship with God's people, to sing God's praises, and to be uplifted and built up in song. Amen. And I uh, appreciate you being here this morning. And we're continuing through our series, uh, When a Nation Needs a Comeback. And this morning we're in 1 Samuel in chapter 7 in the Word of God. I'm going to start at the end of the chapter, and we're going to work our way backwards this morning. But I'd like to start in 1 Samuel in chapter 7, and I would like to read from verse 13 down through the end of the chapter. We'll deal with all of 1 Samuel 7, but I'd like to begin reading in verse 13. Quite a change in scenes by the time we get to chapter 7. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even unto Gath, and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit, kind of like a circuit-riding preacher here, to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And his return, or his home, was to Ramah, for there was his house. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. If you've been going with us through this journey of 1 Samuel, that almost sounds unfamiliar. We have some good news by the time we get to the end of 1 Samuel chapter 7. So far in our study of the book of 1 Samuel, we have been seeing how the nation of Israel has turned their back against God. And because of that, the negative consequences and the circumstances that have come to their nation, we've studied that in the first six chapters. But then we come to the end of chapter 7, and we read some good news. All of a sudden, it's as if the whole script has flipped. All of a sudden, now Israel is subduing their enemies instead of their enemies conquering them. And now, all of a sudden, instead of the hand of the Lord being against Israel, we've read that five times in the first six chapters, now the hand of the Lord is against the Philistines. Now, instead of Israel being conquered and defeated, they're the ones conquering and they're the ones defeating their enemies. Something drastic has happened in 1 Samuel in chapter 7. And in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to see the embers of revival are beginning to burn in Israel again. We see that Samuel is now the high priest of Israel, and now we're seeing that God is doing a great work through and in the lives and the nation of Israel. And it's an important thought and an important truth because what we're going to see is in 1 Samuel chapter 7, maybe we could summarize it this way, the Lord helps his people. The Lord begins to help his people. Our family, we moved to London, England in 2007, and man, we shipped about, I think it was about four pallets of things. We didn't take a whole container. We shipped about four pallets of our personal belongings and some books and everything else, and we shipped those about a month before we left. And uh, man, everything was set. We paid everything up front. The timing was just right. In fact, it was set in such a way where we would land and we would move into our rental home. And then a week later, all of our stuff was supposed to arrive and we were supposed to have everything that we had sent a month previous. Well, upon our arrival in London, we were told that the company that had contracted the company, this is getting confusing, the company who we had paid contracted another company to ship our things across the ocean and 
to make sure that we got them a week after we arrived. However, while on the water, that company went bankrupt and they went completely out of business. They actually stayed in the water for five weeks in between America and the UK, trying to figure out what they were going to do. All the while, our stuff was still on the boat. Well, they finally landed and they finally got everything unloaded and we said, man, this is great. We're going to get all of our stuff. And it really just began a four-month process, a four-month process to get our things. I, of course, wanting to solve all the world's problems, picked up the phone and spoke to the lowest entry person in the company I could speak to. I explained our situation. And the lady said, sir, here's what you need to do. She sent me a form. I filled out the form. I took care of it. I called her back. She said, I'm going to transfer you to someone else who can help because this has never happened in our situation. I said, oh, you've never gone bankrupt before. That's good to hear. So I talked to the next person and then to the next person in over four months. No kidding. I have notes still. It's funny. I was on my computer the other day. I was like, why do I have these notes still? It's because I'm still bitter about it. Anyway, <laughs> man, I talked to person after person, made phone calls. One day I told my wife, I'm going up there. The place was about 35 minutes away from where we lived. I drove to the warehouse, knocked on the door. Someone opened the door. I walked in and I could see our stuff right there. I said, how much money will it take for me to hand it to you and you just move it out here for me right now? It didn't work. I mean, we talked to everybody we could possibly talk to. One Saturday, this is just out of chance, I picked up the phone and I called one more time. I called the place hundreds of times. They were tired of hearing from the yank, all right? I called and, and, and a guy answered the phone I'd never talked to before and Long story short, I still remember his name. His name was Raj Middleton. Raj, his father was from India. His mother was from the UK. Raj Middleton. And I spoke to him and I said, Raj, you don't know me. I don't know you. But man, listen, here's my situation. I explained the whole thing to him. And it comes to find out that Raj Middleton was the man that owned the company. I got in touch with the owner. Raj said to me, are you going to be home this evening. I said, I'll be home this evening. He said, your stuff will be at your house by this evening. I'm telling you, by four o'clock in the afternoon, we were unpacking our things. By four o'clock in the afternoon, man, I could not believe a four-month process ended with a 10-minute call to Raj Middleton. Here's what I found. You got to talk to the right person if you want to get help. Anybody in the house this morning? How many of you have been transferred to Thailand, the Philippines, and everywhere else in the world? When you call for help and you are no more, the better. The truth of the matter is, if you have a situation that you cannot resolve, at the end of the day, no red tape, no forms, all that turns out to be futile. You must be in touch with the right person. Now, Israel has been in an absolute mess up to this point. Can we agree with that? Israel, up to this passage of Scripture, has been living in the time and in the spirit of the judges where every man is doing that which is right in their own eyes. Eli, his sons, have corrupted the priesthood. We know that the Ark of the Covenant was captured and was taken into Philistine territory. Man, the Philistines, after seven months, said the Ark is too hot to handle. Let's get rid of it. They return the Ark of God. We learned last week they bring the Ark of the Covenant back to a city called Beth Shemesh, a priestly city. And man, the people of God treated the Ark of God very casually, very lightly. We learned the importance of reverence last Sunday as we studied 1 Samuel chapter 6. Well, the Ark is going to be moved to a place called Kirjath Jerem. Say that twice. I'd rather just give the zip code. Anybody else? They moved the Ark of the Covenant to a place called Kirjath Jerem. And the Ark of the Covenant is going to stay there for 20 long years. What's going on during those 20 years? There's a new priest by the name of Samuel. 
who has come onto the scene. And Samuel is an itinerant minister. He's going around and he's preaching and he's teaching the nation of Israel for 20 years. And I want you to hear the message that he's preaching. Look at what he says in verse 3. Here's the message. Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. Samuel is saying to the nation of Israel, It is time to come back to the Lord. It is time to return to God's ways. We have tried it our own way long enough. We've tried it the way the Philistines have tried it. It's not working. It's time to return to the Lord. Why? Because, watch carefully, church, because we desperately need his help. Here's the title this morning. Getting help from the only one who can help. Getting help from the only one who can help. Israel was in a desperate situation spiritually, morally, politically, socially, and in every way. And so they have tried it their way for so long. And finally, Samuel steps onto the scene, and for 20 years, while the ark is parked at Kirjath-Jerim, Samuel is going around to the nation of Israel, and here's what he's saying. We've tried it our way long enough, and it's not helping. We have turned to all the gods of the Canaanites, and they are not helping. Maybe, just maybe, it's time that we seek help from the only person who can actually help us. Folks, that's what revival is. Are you listening carefully? Revival is when God's people get frustrated and exhausted trying to get water out of all the wells that produce none. They get tired of seeking help from everybody and everything that promises they can help and they find themselves empty and full of frustration. And it's almost as if the Holy Spirit of God in 1 Samuel chapter 3 reminds us to this one phrase, Samuel, for 20 years, travels to Israel. And here's what he says, enough is enough. Israel, it is time for us to return to the Lord. He's the only one who can help us. What does it look like? When someone returns to the Lord and asks God to truly help them. You see, this message is not just a history lesson. I hope we've got that figured out by the time we're in our 10th message this morning. This is not history. This is not just a lesson in history of Israel. This is for us today. This is for John today. This is for you today. This is for all of our hearts today because the Spirit of God through the living Word of God is saying to his church today, it is time to stop looking to everybody and everything to solve problems that they can't solve. Why not return to the Lord? What does it look like when God's people return to the Lord and seek help from the only one who can help? I'm give you four steps. Oh, they're so important steps. Write these steps down. Please, please, please go back and study the word of God on your own. You'll need this message. You may say, John, I'm right with the Lord. Praise the Lord. But tomorrow you might need it. You might sit in traffic on 285. You're going to need it. What does it look like when we return to the Lord and seek him for help? Number one, we must develop a right attitude towards the Lord and our sin. If I'm going to seek the Lord and I really need his help, by the way, we do. Did you listen to me? We do. If I'm going to get the Lord to help me and I desperately need his help, I must develop a right attitude towards him and towards my sin. Why do we say that? Go back to chapter 6 for just a moment. 
Do you remember the tragedy that we looked at in Beth Shemesh last week when the people of God treated the ark of God very lightly and irreverently? Remember this, 50,070 people died when the ark was lifted, the lid was, and they looked inside of it, profaned the holy things of God. Man, I want you to hear right on the heels of this what the Bible says. In verse 19, the scripture says, And he, God, smote the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord, even he smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men, and the people, notice this phrase, lamented. Lamented. That means they mourned or they were sorrowful. Now, church, I want you to connect. There are two reasons why they were sorrowful and why they mourned. All right? Everybody ready? Two. Two reasons. Look at it right here in this text. The Bible said they lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? Now, there are two reasons why they were mourning. They were mourning, first of all, over the consequences of their sin. Do you see that? Why did they mourn? Why did they lament? Well, 50,070 people died because they profaned the holy things of God. They were mourning over the consequences of their sin. But notice this, they were also lamenting or mourning over the character of God. Do you notice what they said in verse number 20? Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? If you're not careful, you can miss this, but it's almost as if they're saying, we are mourning because God is holy and our sin was judged, and we want nothing to do with that. Did you hear me? God is holy, and, and, and I wasn't the exception, and God still judged sin, and, and I want nothing to do with that. Now listen, that's not the attitude we can maintain if we want to get God's help. Are you listening carefully? God's help does not come when our attitude is, I hate that I got caught. Or I hate the consequences of my wrong decisions. Can I, can I roll this out for just a minute this morning? I guess I shouldn't ask for permission. I'm going to. But why is it that when we live in this culture we live in that no one will say these words, it's my fault? You know, I don't think I've heard that from a lot of people in a long time. You know, that's me. You know what we hear? Parents. Grandparents. Teacher. Pastor. Youth pastor. Kids workers. Am I plowing deep enough? What are we here today? Police officers, it's their fault. Politicians, their fault. Are we living in a day where people will actually take responsibility? No. And unfortunately, that has crept into the church where it's very easy for us to have an excuse for absolutely everything, and that is exactly what Israel had at this point. They said, God, you didn't change when we changed. God, you're supposed to go along when we go along. And all of a sudden, they found that God was still holy. God was still righteous. God meant what he said when he said you're to treat the ark with reverence and respect. And they didn't believe God. They believed that they were an exception. And God said, no, 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 no. My character doesn't change. And the consequences of sin do not change. I'm still a holy God. We're not used to that today. Because we're used to every institution having corruption. God don't have any. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. And he said, I will deal with this issue. So watch, for 20 years, here's what Israel's doing. Israel is sucking their spiritual thumbs. They're saying, we're victims. God shouldn't have done this. So what happens during those 20 years? Samuel goes around and starts preaching. 
said, it's time to return to the Lord. Come to chapter 7 for just a moment and listen to what happens in verse 2. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was 20 years. Now notice this. And all the house of Israel lamented how? After the Lord. Wait a minute. In chapter 6, they're mourning and lamenting over the consequences and the character of God. By the time we get to chapter 7, Samuel has preached for 20 years. What are the people doing? They're saying this. God, we're mourning because we need you. God, we're mourning not because of what's happened to us. God, we're mourning because you have been offended. There's a difference between the sorrow of this world and godly sorrow. I'm talking about how to get God's help this morning. And it starts with getting a right attitude towards the Lord and towards our own sin. And I want you to hear 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 8. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church of Corinth, and I want you to hear what he says. He says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. In other words, I haven't changed my mind. Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle had made you sorry though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorrow after a godly sorrow, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Notice this, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh Death. Now stop there for just a second. Paul said there is a difference between godly sorrow and the sorrow of this world. Let's talk about the sorrow of this world. Can I give you an example? Um, a man goes out, goes to a bar, gets drunk, gets behind the wheel of his car, starts driving, and as he's driving, he's swerving all over the road. A police officer pulls up behind him. Pulls him over, gives him a sobriety test. The guy can't say his ABCs. The guy can't walk a straight line. The, the officer puts him straight in the back of the car. He arrests him. He puts him in prison. He puts him in jail. And man, the guy's got to get bailed out. And man, he calls his pastor. He calls his wife. And, and they show up. You said, Pastor, how do you know? I, uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> they show up. And as they're standing there and they're talking to him, I want you to imagine. Here's what he says. Honey, it's awful. It's terrible. I can't believe this. Pastor, oh, it's awful. It's terrible. This is the worst thing that could have ever happened. Oh, I can't stand the fact that I'm in jail. I'm behind bars. And man, I've disgraced my family. And oh, my church family. Oh, all these things that are going through my, oh, this is terrible. This is awful. The fallout of my sin is absolutely terrible. You say, Pastor, that sounds pretty good. Let me tell you what that is. That's the sorrow of this world. That's so mean. No, 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 listen. Because if he gets out and goes to the same bar two nights later, drinks the same drink, gets behind the same wheel of the same car, does the same thing, you say, Pastor, he's a victim. No, 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 listen to me very carefully. Let me tell you what's going on. He has sorrow, but it's worldly sorrow. Because worldly sorrow says this, I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry for the consequences of my transgression. I'm sorry because I've hurt somebody else's feelings. I'm sorry that all this has happened. But listen, that's, I'm sorry because of the consequences of it. But watch, that's the sorrow of this world. But godly sorrow is totally different. Same situation. Pastor, I'm here. Honey, I'm here. The reason I'm here is because I sinned against God. Listen to me. I've offended a holy God. 
Yes, I hate the devastation that is caused in our family, in our home, in my reputation, but none of that matters more than this, that my fellowship with God has been severed. And I've broken the heart of Almighty God. Do you understand there's a difference between those two? Because godly sorrow, watch what it does. Paul said it leads to what? It leads to repentance. That means this, change of mind that leads to a change of behavior and a change of action. How many of your kids, if you've ever told them to do something, they say, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't do it. Five minutes later, they do it again. They didn't mean it. <laughs> Pastor, yes, they did. No, they didn't. Let me tell you when you mean it. Are you ready? I know this is not cool for preaching, but you need to hear me. When you mean it is when you change. Pastor, I'm a victim. No, 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 no. You can't point to other people and change. You can't point to society and the church and everybody else and say, they're why I can't change. No, 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 no. That's the sorrow of this world. Godly sorrow says, I'm wrong. I've sinned. I have hurt the heart of God. It's my fault. Listen, change your view of sin. You'll change your view of God. That doesn't make good for amen and on Sunday morning, but it's true. It's true. Do you want God's help? Listen, do you want God's help? Or do you want to keep going back to the same garbage that doesn't work? God said, if you want my help, Israel, you got to lament over the right things. Our nation, we've heard a lot of worldly sorrow and a lot of accusations against God. Every time there's a tragedy, you ready? How could a loving God allow this to happen to me. Almost as if we have no responsibility whatsoever. Are you listening carefully? The atrocities that we see occur do not cause me to doubt God. Instead, they reinforce my understanding that rejecting God causes atrocities. In our own lives, if we're not careful, we can begin to demonstrate a low view of God, a high view of self, and a blaming of others for our own choices. But you don't get God's help that way. Did you hear me? You do not get the help of God that way. What you'll find is you'll stay in a circle and you'll stay in a circular pattern. And watch, you can spend as much money on therapy, psychology, and everything in the world you want to spend it on. But listen to me very carefully. At the end of the day, until you own it and say, God, it's me, I have a problem, and you're the only one that can help me, you're not getting better. We have to develop a right attitude towards God and towards our sin. Secondly, notice this quickly. We must delete all forms of idolatry and immorality. Amen. You want God's help? Anybody in the house? You need God's help? Let me tell you how to get it. Get the right attitude towards sin, but watch this carefully. Get rid of the idolatry and the immorality. Now, verse number three and verse number four, Samuel challenges the people of God. And Samuel lays it out clearly. And look what he said in verse three. He tells them to put away the false gods. In verse four, the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth. Now, here's the key. And serve the Lord. Say the last word, church. Only. There's the key. The key is, it's not that they weren't serving the Lord but they were serving the Lord and Baal and Ashtaroth. There was an attempt to co-mingle God with false gods of the Canaanites. I was, I was recently in Chile 
uh, with, with Ethan Meeks, and we were down there visiting Nathan Bill, one of our missionaries. Great, great opportunity to see the work of God. I'll talk a touch about it tonight. But, 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 but while I was there, I had a gentleman come up to me, and he said, hey, sir, you speak English. I was like, how did you know? <laughs> Here's what he said. What time is it? Now, Chile at this time of year is on the same time zone as the Eastern Standard Time. Crazy, nine-hour flight, but same time zone, straight down. He said, sir, what time is it? I looked at my watch, and I said, it's this time. But then the next thing I did, you know what I did? I pulled out my iPhone, and I looked at the time, and I said, it's this time. Now, wait a second. Simple illustration. Why did I pull out my iPhone if I had confidence in my watch. Well, here's what I want you to know. I did not have confidence in my watch. I know we are plowing some really deep theology this morning. I didn't have confidence in my watch. And because I didn't have confidence in my watch, what did I do? I pulled out an iPhone. I said, I got more confidence in that than I do in this, even though they said the same thing. Watch. I had even set my, my watch off my iPhone. But I still have more confidence in that phone, yes, than my watch. Now watch carefully. It's not that Israel didn't have any confidence in God. It was that they did not have enough confidence in God to say, God only is who we'll serve. We have to serve Ashtaroth. We have to serve Baal. Now watch this. Just in case God can't help us. Are you listening? I think we're going somewhere. <laughs> we have to serve God, no doubt, because he is kind of our good luck charm. But Baal is the God who can provide rain for us. Baal's the provision God. He causes rain to come down. And so Baal, we have to serve him too. And Asheroth is the pleasure goddess. She's the queen of heaven. If we want to have children, if we want to see our seed extended, man, we've got to worship the Asheroth as well because God can't give us children and God can't meet our needs alone. God needs a little bit of help. The issue with Israel was not that they didn't serve the Lord. It was that they did not serve the Lord only. Only. I believe this, that if you want to get God's help, listen very carefully, if you really want God's help, you can't serve other idols. And you can't bow down and worship other things and put them on the same level with Jehovah God. You can't do that. Now, you can get a lot of help from a lot of people, but you can't get God's help that way. Are you, are you listening carefully? You can't get the God of heaven's help that way. The idols and the immorality must be deleted. An idol is anything we turn to when we are in need. An idol is anything we devote ourselves to more than the Lord. How about this one? An idol is anything that we have to check with before we do the will of God. Sunday morning, church. Let's go to church. Wait a minute. Honey, didn't we schedule such and such today? Don't look at me like I'm from another planet. But God, you help us. God, we're trusting you and crickets. You see where we're going here. So many times we want the help of God, but we hold on to our idols 
We hold on to our immorality. Ashtaroth was an immoral goddess. I cannot even begin to describe the absolute sexual deviance that went on in the temples of Ashtaroth. I cannot even begin to describe all the, I mean, I literally could not even read to you what I read in the last few weeks, what was going on in those temples. But listen to me very carefully. If she was the goddess of pleasure and and now Baal is the one who's provided all of our needs and and we say, God, we need your help. God, we want you, but we're going to hold on to our sexual immorality, and we're going to trust someone else to provide for us. But God, we need you. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. You cannot get the help of God holding on to false gods. The help of the God of heaven comes at an exclusive only price. Jacob had to get rid of his gods, didn't he? Joshua had to clean out the camp before God could use them. I'm just simply saying to you and I this morning, if we really believe that we're going to get the help of God, but we are not willing to abandon those things which have our hearts, and we're not willing to abandon those things which corrupt our minds, and we're not willing to delete those things out of our lives, out of our phones, out of our televisions, out of all those things, if we're not willing to delete those gods, we can expect that we will not experience the help of Jehovah. God says, if you want my help, Israel, some things have to go. Some things have to go. Did you hear me? Some things have to go. Can I just ask you this morning, as a friend, can I just ask you this morning, what is it that you can't let go of that has such a grip in your heart and soul That's keeping you from relying and trusting on the God of heaven who can do something about your situation. What is it that holds you back from going all in with him? And I would tell you this, if you want to experience the help of a holy God, delete it, get rid of it, walk away from it. It's worth it. Number three. We must demonstrate absolute confidence in the Lord. Verse number five through verse number 11 is awesome. I won't read it all. Samuel, after 20 years, has been preaching. Shiloh has been abandoned. And now Samuel has just been on a circuit, going place to place, preaching, telling the nation of Israel, it's time to return to the Lord. And finally, after 20 years, man, I would have loved to have been here. He calls the entire nation of Israel together in one place to worship God. We believe it was the Feast of the Tabernacles because he offered the water, they fasted, and all those things, they confessed their sin. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles, but this was the first time in 20 years they all came together. Now watch carefully. They are surrounded by the Philistines. They're surrounded by their enemies. And now Samuel, after 20 years of quiet, After 20 years of peace, Samuel says, everyone gathered together in this place called Mizpah. And they all come together in Mizpah. And man, it's a powerful thing. Samuel begins to lead in worship. Samuel and the people of God begin to return to the Lord. They've deleted their idols. I believe, by the way, when you get rid of the things that God says are in my way, there's joy again. Some of y'all are struggling with that. But there's real joy again when you let God have his way. And man, the people of God are rejoicing. The people of God are celebrating. But wait a minute. Right when they get things right with the Lord, the enemy shows up. Has anybody else been in the house this morning? (laughs) Has anybody ever gone to church and man, God just does something in you? And man, something dies on that altar. Something God gives you victory. You walk out and you're reading your Bible the next morning. Then all of a sudden, the enemy shows up. Happens. Kids go to youth camp. God gives them victory. They turn around and, oh, got to go home. Right? The enemy shows up. The Philistines, and here's what the Philistines said. They've all gathered together in this one place because they're staging themselves for battle and for war. And so what happens? 
Here is Israel in the midst of this revival. They're getting things right. They're getting clean with the Lord. And now the Philistines organize themselves and they're gonna march and try to destroy the people of God in Mizpah. Now, what did Israel do in their past? Anybody remember? When the enemy attacked, they would go fight them. They would run out disorganized, disjointed, and they would get absolutely slaughtered. Or they would try weird things like, somebody get the ark as a good luck charm. That's not a good idea. What do they do this time? I want you to see what happens in the nation of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 7. The Bible said in verse number eight, and the children of Israel said to Samuel, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he, did you hear me? That he will save us, not the ark, but that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. Wait a minute. This is a totally different response. Before it's, what can we do? Wait a minute. Before it was, who can we call? Before it was, what's our plan? Before it's, let's try this. This time, all of a sudden, they said, Samuel, we need you to pray. Big difference, isn't there? Isn't it interesting how you fight your battles differently when you're right with God? Because he fights them. Samuel, we need you to pray. And what does Samuel do? Samuel takes a lamb. Oh, I'd love to preach an entire message on this. I won't. Some of you got scared. Samuel takes this lamb. A lamb is the most helpless animal in the animal kingdom. It can't run, can't bite, can't fight. It has to have a shepherd. Are you listening? A lamb has to have a shepherd. Here's what Samuel and all of Israel said when they offered this lamb as a sacrifice to God. They said, God, we are helpless. God, we are defenseless. God, our power is useless against this enemy. But God, we are openly declaring this. Don't miss this. We need you to be our shepherd. We need you to fight this battle for us. We need you to step in and do something that only you can do. God, we're not relying on ourselves. We're not trusting in anyone else or anything else. God, we are stepping back. We are right with you. And we are saying, God, we openly declare we desperately need you. What happens? Man, verse 10 is awesome. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against the Lord. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day the Philistine, upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. Wait a second, watch carefully. Up to this point, Israel's been worshiping God and Baal. Baal's the thunder God. God says, You want to see thunder? I'll show you thunder. What you've been trying to do with a false god, it hasn't worked for you yet. Step back, trust me, get out of the way, let me fight the battle. God thundered and discomfited the enemy. And when the enemy was discomfited, they chased their enemies, they pursued them, they overtook them, they conquered them, and God gave them a victory because they exhibited confidence and total trust in him. That's right. Well, pastor, that's what God does in the Old Testament. I just want to testify and tell you this morning that there have been so many times in my life where I had no answer for anything. I had tried everything, and I had talked to everybody trying to solve the situation and the problem that I had got myself into, and I couldn't get out. And in those moments, a spirit of revival where we turn back to the Lord and say, God, we can't, but we know this, you certainly can. And I'm going to tell you on the authority of the word of God, there have been times in my life where almighty God has thundered where everybody else failed. He can still do that today. I said he can still do that today. He's just looking for a people. 
that'll say, God, we want to tap in to see what you can do, not what we can do. Lastly, real quickly, we must display God's glory. We must display God's glory. In verse number 12, then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizben and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto, now watch that word hitherto, it means up to this point. Hitherto or up to this point, the Lord helped us. Samuel takes a stone, sets it up, and says, Israel, I want you to know something. You didn't win this battle, God did it. Israel, I want you to know something. You didn't defeat the enemy, God defeated the enemy. I'm gonna ask Brother Todd to come and just begin playing in a moment. But I want you to see what he is saying. He's saying God has helped us up to this point. And if God has helped us up to this point, there's no reason for us to believe that he won't continue to help us beyond this point. So what are we going to do? We're going to set up a big rock. We're going to set up a stone. And every time we pass by this stone, here's what I want you to remember. This is the place where God showed up. Hey, this is the place where God did something for us that nobody else could do. This was the place where God intervened, where nobody else could intervene. This is the place where God thundered when everyone else had failed. This is that place. Set up a stone and call it Ebenezer. You read the rest of this story. The Bible tells us they win the victory. And uh, after they win the victory, the scripture tells us that Samuel begins to travel to three places. Did you see it? Let me just point it out real quickly. These three places are found in verse number, oh, let's come down to verse number 24. The Bible tells us that they got their cities back in verse 25, and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went, notice this, from year to year in circuit. Where did he go? He went to Bethel. He went to Gilgal. And he went to Mizpah. The name Bethel is where God showed up to Jacob. Are you listening to this? When Jacob came to the end of himself and said, God, I've got to have your help. And God, I can't do this anymore on my own. And God showed up and gave Jacob an answer at Bethel. And what did Jacob do? He set up a stone and worshiped God there in Bethel. Gilgal, what's so important about Gilgal? Gilgal is where the nation of Israel went to the brink of the promised land. And what did they do? The scripture says God sanctified them. He set them apart. And what did they do? They set up 12 stones in Gilgal as a place to remember the goodness of God and what God had done for them. And then Mizpah. Imagine old Samuel, for all the years of his ministry, came back to Mizpah. And when he would come back to Mizpah, he would say something like this. Hey, look over there. You see that rock? See that rock over there, that stone? It's called Ebenezer. Well, 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 what is Ebenezer all about? Samuel, what is Ebenezer about? That's the place where God helped us. Just like in Bethel, he helped Jacob. Just like in Gilgal, he helped us. And right here in Mizpah, he helped us. God has helped us again and again. And when he helps us, what do we do? It's time to display his glory. It's time to say, this isn't something we did. This is something Almighty God did. Hey, do you want to get God's help this morning? I want to help you get it. Here's how you get God's help. Don't take credit for what he's done. Don't take credit for what he's done. Set a rock down. Say it was right there that God helped us. We sing a song all the time here. Come thou fount of every blessing. To my heart to sing thy praise. The song was written by a man by the name of Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson wrote this song and he had become to Christ after a rough time away from the Lord as a young man. He actually went to a service where George Whitfield was preaching and was gonna go heckle and make fun of the preacher and got under Holy Ghost conviction and got saved. 
eventually started pastoring a church and pastored a great church and wrote songs. But he wrote this great song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing to My Heart to Sing Thy Praise. I love what he wrote in the second verse. Brother Zach, are you here? I think he's here somewhere. I think he hung out, didn't he? Zach, where you at, buddy? Oh, Zach's gone. Zach is here. Come on, run on up here, buddy. I want you to grab a microphone. I want you to sing this second verse. I want you to stand and join him as he sings it. But I love what Robinson wrote on this second verse. He talked about 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7. I want you to join Zach as he sings it this morning. We can sing it a cappella, sing it with Todd, however you want to sing it. But I want you to sing that second verse, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. Sing it with us if you know it. Here we go. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help. Sing it like it's true now. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Years later, Robinson got away from the Lord even after being a preacher. Pastor, many years, and just his heart got cold. He was on a train one day and was sitting across from a woman who was knitting, and while she was knitting, she began to hum. And you guessed it, she was humming this song. The song that he had written when he, his heart was passionate for Jesus. His heart was on fire for the Lord, and he was looking to the Lord for his help. And he asked the woman to quit singing it. <laughs> she said, could you quit humming it? And she said, sir, why would I quit humming such a beautiful song? And she hummed it again and started to sing this third verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. She said, sir, what is it that you don't like about the song? And he said, madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote this song many years ago, and here's what he said, I would give a thousand worlds if I had those same feelings of joy that I had back then. The lady looked at him. She said these words, sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. The streams of mercy are still flowing. The Lord still wants to help. Sing this third verse, Zach. Lead us as we sing it together. Oh, to grace, how great a tether, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness, like, like a, feather. a feather, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, anybody else? Prone to Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Oh, take 